What's going on, everybody? Welcome. It is Friday, June 12th, 2020. I'm your host, as always, The Pody. Welcome to episode 99 of This Week in Sports. We're going to try to run through this a little quick today, make this a bit of a shorter episode between 30 to 45 minutes, um, if I can manage to do that. So I've got no funny videos or cool uh, videos to start off the show. Usually I like to intro that with a video, um, cool soundbite or something, but didn't really have anything this week, so we'll have to wait until the end for something. But we'll start off in the NFL. Of course, we're still um, going through the aftermath of the George Floyd murder by a Minneapolis police officer, the rioting in the streets, the protests. It is not going anywhere anytime soon, and it's really um, a shame. It's getting quite ugly. But we turn to the NFL where a lot of this has now come back towards Colin Kaepernick and the fact that he is owed his justice or deserves another chance in the NFL, et cetera, et cetera. So you have players um, like Adrian Peterson, who did speak out earlier in the week and said that without a doubt, he will be kneeling when the season comes back. He plans on kneeling for the anthem. He says if there are large numbers, it's going to be hard to to get backlash, but also he believes that if the NFL is true to its word, it shouldn't be a problem. Of course, Roger Goodell came out, the NFL came out, they pledge uh, like $250 million, okay, over the course of um, 10 years, as well as they're going to recognize Juneteenth as a holiday. It was a memo sent to teams. Roger Goodell announced the league will observe June 19th as a company holiday. The memo states, it is a day to reflect on our past and work towards a better future. So uh, that's nice there. Um, Okay, Larry Fitzgerald, he also came out and had something to say. Um, And speaking on the NFL pledging that $250 million, that's for, uh, I believe, social justice causes. Okay. And uh, Larry Fitzgerald, he said he had this to say, the violent death of George Floyd in in police custody is yet another example of a systemic problem we have yet to solve, a cancer we are failing to cut out. Larry Fitzgerald, I respect him um, pretty much more than any other player in the NFL. He's super smart. He's really in tune to what's going on in the world. And anytime he has something to say, I, I tend to listen. I love Larry Fitz. So, um, yeah, he's not wrong in that statement there. He goes on to say, We must never condone violent riots that take lives and destroy futures, but we must also hear the desperate voice of protest that is calling out for justice. We must refuse to allow the screams of the unheard to be disregarded. Again, I totally agree with that. He's without a doubt correct. These riots and these looters. Um, it is it has resulted in more death than than that of George Floyd. More than one person has died since these riots ha- have commenced, and and it's sad. And and the media is not um, forthcoming fully in, in what's you know what's uh, taking place and whatnot. But I'm not going to make this a political uh, uh, statement as much uh, as I did last week. Uh, moving moving on, the NFL. Um, released a memo to all 32 teams. I think I want to say this was Monday or over the weekend on how, uh, with guidance on how to open training camps under COVID-19 restrictions. There were no specific dates. That's key there. But as of right now, they're scheduled to start in late July. Among the long list of points, there will be daily testing and screening, 
physical distancing rules will be in effect and teams will have to try and keep six feet between lockers where possible. You know, your basic uh, safety measures throughout this COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, There was one problem with this memo and it seems like it was a bit of an oversight on the NFL's part. The NFL Players Association did not know that memo was going out and was a little disappointed to find out that it had because they didn't really consider it a finalized, approved document. So the NFLPA today sent an email to all of its membership reminding them that they're not required to report to team facilities prior to training camp if their coaches or teams are calling them about that. No agreement has been reached on that. So uh, that little detail uh, tells you where they are in terms of the approval process from the NFLPA standpoint. Yeah, ways to go. Okay, Dalvin Cook, he is holding out. He said he will not participate in team activities without what he called a reasonable new deal. He has one year remaining on his contract and is scheduled to make $1.3 million. Of course, he had a career year last year with 13 rushing touchdowns, but he's had ACL issues in the past. And I'm just not so sure that the the running back position as as it uh, becomes devalued, what is going to be a reasonable payoff for a Dalvin Cook. It's a tough spot for the Vikings and for Dalvin Cook because you can't make the argument that he's not worth some of the money he's asking, but the running back position typically has not been paid. The Vikings did redo the contract of quarterback Kirk Cousins, giving him $30 million a year. I think Dalvin Cook would like to make that over the course of, say, three seasons with one year left on his contract that's scheduled to pay him $1.3 million. He doesn't want to go into training camp or this season without a new deal. So I'm sure he'll get paid what exactly he's going to make. It's tough because, again, that position, um, any cut or any play on any given day, you could end up tearing an ACL or missing multiple games. So a guy with an injury history like that, granted he had a career season last year, helped the Vikings uh, through the first round of the playoffs. We'll see. He'll he'll get, some, he'll get a, a new deal for sure. But what that is, yet to be seen and... I don't want to speculate. Okay, moving right ahead, let's talk NASCAR. I've never talked NASCAR more on this podcast than throughout this pandemic. It's quite funny and and a a little crazy, but uh, NASCAR, they showed their support at the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500. There was a moment of silence prior to the race in honor of George, George Floyd and the acknowledgement of racial injustice. Kevin Harvick took the lead in the third stage and never gave it up. It is his second win of the season and his third in Atlanta, so he does like to race in Atlanta. He held up the number three in honor of the late Dale Earnhardt, which is a cool cool gesture there. There was, however, a scary moment at the race as Bubba Wallace did end up fainting more than once. He did seem to be okay, but then again, while he's giving a live TV interview, he ended up fainting again, and it was extremely hot, about 85 and humid in Atlanta. He would uh, be okay, and he later tweeted, got sent to the gulag, won that, where we dropping, aka I'm good. So for those of you that have no clue what he's talking about, that is a reference to Call of Duty Warzone. So uh, yeah, didn't know who Bubba Wallace was, but now I'm a fan of his because I'm a big Call of Duty guy. And uh, speaking of Wallace... I've been doing my research. Now I find out who he is. He is the the lone black NASCAR driver in the sport, okay? And naturally, his name is going to come up in light of what is going on. 
He called for NASCAR to ban all Confederate flags. He told CNN no one should feel uncomfortable when they come to an event. He then unveiled Black Lives Matter written on his car that he would be using for Wednesday's race. NASCAR listened, and I think it was two days after that statement, they did in fact ban the flags, but they took it even a step further saying that patrons and fans will not have to stand for the national anthem. Wallace reacted with this statement. Can't stress how huge this is as a Southerner who has attended these events. The Confederate flag as an emblem is everywhere, from the fans to the cars. The flag at these events, which which are highly popular, is a constant reminder of a history of racism intertwined with regionalism. Removing the Confederate flag from these events is a big cultural shift for that region. Um, Marty Smith happened to agree, and he had this to say. NASCAR's decision here is not closing a door on you. It is, in fact, opening the door to everyone, no matter who you love, no matter what you might worship, no matter what you cheer for, the door is now open to you. It's not closed to anyone anymore. Now, there was one racer, NASCAR uh, truck racer, I believe. Yeah, uh, his name is Ray Siccarelli. He says he is quitting the sport over the company's decision to ban the feder- uh, the Confederate flag. He is um, 0-31 or 32. He's never won a race in the truck series. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's his, that's his right. He doesn't agree with them banning the Confederate flag. Um, so he is going to quit, which is quite interesting. Um, he said he had this to say on social media. Well, it's been a fun ride and dream come true, but if this is the direction NASCAR is headed, we will not participate after 2020 season is over. I don't believe in kneeling during Anthem, nor taking people right to fly whatever flag they love. Sicarella is 50, and he wrote that on his Facebook page. He added, I could care less about the Confederate flag, but there are people that do, and it doesn't make them a racist. All you are doing is bleep one group to cater to another and i ain't spend the money we are to participate in any po- political bs so everything is for sale uh the post has since been deleted actually neither sicarella nor his team responded to a request for comment so yeah hey that's his prerogative he wants to quit that's fine okay so now back to Wednesday's race at martinsville austin dillon had a very scary moment during lap 113 when he when a broken crush panel exposed him to fumes and extreme heat at Martinsville, he was helped off the track and later received some oxygen. Martin Truex Jr. ends up winning the race by almost five full seconds. Ryan Blaney and Brad Keselowski finished second and third, respectively. And Bubba Watson, who we just talked about, he gave it a valiant effort and would finish in 11th in that new uh, car with the Black Lives Matter painted on the side of it. The Cup Series will be back in action on Sunday with a bit of a twist, and this is a big one, guys. Listen up. The next two races will allow limited fan attendance for the first time since March. I believe this is the first sport to allow fans back in attendance, so you have Sunday at Homestead Miami Speedway, and then June 21st at Talladega Super Speedway in Alabama. You will be allowed, they will be allowing limited fan attendance. I don't know all the details, how many fans what the deal is with getting tickets are they going to be 
overpriced? Are they going to be scalping them extremely high on, say, StubHub, things of that nature? Um, but then after that, when they go back to the Poconos, there will not be fans allowed. Okay, let's talk UFC 250. Amanda Nunez, Nunez further solidified her standing as the GOAT in women's MMA. She dominated Felicia Spencer from start to finish. Spencer was actually just lucky to finish the fight. She had a hematoma on her head. She was getting battered and bruised. And, and got to give her credit, she hung in there, but she stood no chance. She she was just totally overmatched, okay? Um Nunez's spotlight, however, was stolen rather quickly as Conor McGregor announced his retirement for like the third time, um, okay? He tweeted back in 2016, I have decided to retire young. Thanks for the cheese. Catch you later. Okay, that was back in 2016. And then he fought just over four months later in August of 20, uh, 2016 before again retiring on Twitter in 20 in March of 2019 this time he had this to say hey guys quick announcement I've decided to retire from the sport formerly known as mixed martial art today I wish all my old colleagues well going forward in competition I now join my former partners on this venture already in retirement 298 days later he was back in the octagon then Monday morning you know after midnight so late Sunday, just after the Nunez fight, he tweeted, Hey guys, I've decided to retire from fighting. Thank you all for the amazing memories. What a ride it's been. McGregor now joins a list of superstar MMA fighters that have recently called it quits. Remember Henry Cejudo retired just recently after UFC 249 on May 8th. You had John Jones threatening to retire last week on Twitter over, you know, contract disputes. Jorge Masvidal asked to be released from his contract on Friday. Now, these are huge names, either walking or threatening to walk away from the UFC. Um, this has got to be concerning. What does Dana White have to say about this? And one of the beautiful things about this sport is you don't have to fight. And if these guys want to sit out and retire right now or anybody feels uncomfortable, you don't have to fight. So if that's what Connor's feeling right now, John Jones, Jorge Masvidal, I feel you. Who, who do you fight right now? And, and, and where do we fight Connor McGregor right now? Fight Island isn't even up and running until July. So if you look at all the problems to run a business like this, multiply it by a million. And that's where we are right now. Yeah, so Dana White, he does not seem to be too worried about this. Um, he understands this is a business, and you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. But eventually, once this pandemic dies down and we get back to the normalcy of things, I'm pretty sure that these guys are going to come back. Most of them anyway. This is more of just a stunt to kind of uh, you know make some more money and whatnot. And Dana White is not too concerned about it. And what's even better is... He was on he was on ESPN and he finally gave us some details on Fight Island. We all th we thought for so long that this was just a myth that this wasn't going to come to fruition, but oh no. Dana White spilled on the details and it sounds amazing. Abu Dhabi has actually created this safety zone on the island within 10 square miles on Yaz Island will just be inhabited by us and It'll include an arena, hotels, training facilities for the fighters that are private so, so that, the, you know, the whole COVID-19 thing is covered, uh, dining establishments, and yes, there is an octagon on the beach. I mean, are you kidding me? This is located in Abu Dhabi in the Persian Gulf, so wow, just unbelievable. 
Okay, moving right along, let's get to baseball. We have a lot going on in baseball this week. The league's latest proposal was a 76-game season with 75% prorated salaries. That translates into about $1.4 billion in total compensation. The league has asked the union to respond by Wednesday. Well, they did. I'll get to that in a bit, but here's what Carl Ravitch had to say. I get the impression that baseball believes they are doing their best to extend an olive branch. And I get the sense that it's being received more like a thistle bush, where one side thinks they're making a concession or making a, a move towards placating the other side or at least beginning a dialogue. And the other side, uh, you know, is like on the phone saying, hello, is anybody there? No, nope, there's, there's nobody there. And they, they hang it up. Yeah, this has gone on far too long. And um, so under this new proposal, MLB's highest paid players would make significantly more money than in the initial proposal. So in the initial proposal, um, a guy, a player that makes is supposed to is set to make thirty million for twenty twenty. They were originally going to get only six point nine million. In this current proposal, they'll get significantly more. Now they're valuing it at ten point five six million for a guy making thirty million. A player making ten million, it goes from two point nine five million in the initial proposal up to three point five two million. A uh, player originally set to make one mil initially was less than a million, less than 500k actually, and now it's actually even less than that. It's 352,000. And then a player originally set to make 563.5k, initially it was 262,000. Now it's less than 200,000 at 198,000. So you see you see the concept here. The players that are supposed to make a lot will make more. The players that are at the bottom of the totem pole are going to make even less. Now, can you live off of $200,000? Absolutely. I would take that any day of the week, but is it fair compared to the players making more money? Absolutely not. Okay. Um and speaking of the dichotomy of this proposal, and the the payouts. Here's what Jeff Passan had to say. There's a question coming now from the players whether this was even a better proposal than the last time. Now, there is certainly more money available to players. The difference is there's much more of that money this time tied into the playoffs actually happening. And that's been the big issue for Major League Baseball throughout this, a fear, a concern that the second wave of the coronavirus could come around and potentially wipe the playoffs out completely. And if that happens, then it is a financial mess even more more than it's already been for everyone involved. Okay, so the Players Association had um, until Wednesday to to counter, which they did, and their counterproposal is an 89-game season with full pro-rated salaries. The season would start on July 10th and end on October 11th. Well, if that's the case, that's less than a month out. They've got to finalize this pretty damn quickly, right? However, um, the playoffs would expand to 16 teams, eight in each league. They want this for the next two years, so 2020 and 2021. And cutting player salaries is an absolute non-starter. Uh, one person called it a hill that they will die on. And if they die on that hill at 48 games, that means we're going to have a 48-game season as implemented by Major League Baseball. There's going to be a grievance by the Players Association for the league not playing its fullest season. It gets really, really ugly, even uglier than it's been already 
if we don't get a deal done at some point here and they come to that place in the middle and figure out a number of games that's not 48. So, as you could tell, they are nowhere close on this. They want their full salaries. The league doesn't want to pay out. Are they going to come into and meet in the middle? They're getting a little bit closer. I am less optimistic, but the commissioner of baseball himself, Rob Manfred, he absolutely believes that there is going to be a 2020 season. You know, I can't speak for the Players Association. I can tell you unequivocally uh, that the owners understand this is different, that they're listening to what their fans saying, and that they are listening to what the players are saying, and they're continuing to make proposals as a result of the input that they're receiving from those sources. I'll be disappointed that we're unable to reach an agreement that allows us to play more games. But you know what? I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is that we play Major League Baseball in 2020, and I can tell you unequivocally, we are going to play Major League Baseball this year. So there you, there you have it. The commissioner of baseball believes unequivocally we will have a 2020 season. Again, what that looks like, whether it's less than 50 games or it's this 89-game type of proposal. But again, we're less than a month out. These other sports have restarted or are starting to restart. You have to make a decision rather soon uh, on what, what is going to take place for this season. Okay, the MLB draft took place on Wednesday night. Due to the current circumstances, the draft was cut from 40 rounds down to just five rounds, which meant that over 1,000 players would not be drafted. The Tigers had the first overall pick, and they took Arizona State first baseman Spencer Torkelson. Okay, he hit 25 home runs in two. In 2018, breaking Barry Bonds' freshman record. Um, that's some serious stuff right there. The Orioles were up at pick number two, and they took Arkansas right fielder Heston uh, Kierstad. Max Meyer, a right-handed pitcher from Minnesota, went number three to the Marlins. He was one of just six players drafted out of the Big Ten. Uh, Asa Lacey, a left-handed pitcher out of Texas A&M, went number four to the Royals. And Austin Martin, third baseman from Vandy, rounded out the uh, the top five, going fifth overall to the Blue Jays. Now, this was the fourth draft with no high school players taken in the top five. Once all five rounds were finished, uh, teams are now able to sign an unlimited amount of undrafted players for $20,000 each. The draft this year will be college-heavy because the talent base is college-heavy. But there also will be more college players than usual with the shorter spring. Teams want to lean toward guys they have history and data with, and high school players have more leverage to push themselves to college and not sign. Yeah, so that's exactly the reason that there were not as many high school players taken in this year's draft. Major League Baseball is known for having a really high number of high school players drafted um, in, in their draft each and every single year. Also, there were 66 pitchers uh, from four-year, either four-year or junior colleges selected in this year's draft, which is the most in five rounds in the history of the Major League Baseball draft. So yeah, it's uh, been an interesting one. So hopefully a lot of these players that, uh, like I said, they cut out you know, 35 rounds. It's over a thousand players. Hopefully they, they work out a way to sign a lot of these players that normally would have been drafted. Okay, let's talk about Clemson right now. And Dabo Sweeney, head football coach of Clemson, his name has been be, been dragged through the mud in recent weeks because of the 
you know, the the racial injustice, the George Floyd uh, incident, everything that's been going on, right? First, he was seen wearing a Football Matters t-shirt, which many people thought was very tone-deaf considering what is happening in the world right now. On Monday, he addressed a situation from 2017, where, and this is the big one, where his assistant coach used apparently used the N-word around one of his players. There was no punishment at the time, and Dabo absolutely stands by that decision. I would fire a coach immediately if he called a player an N-word. No questions asked. That did not happen. Absolutely did not happen. It has not happened. A story broke this week, and the story was not in context. In correcting him, repeated the, set, the, the phrase, and he said, we don't say... We blocked the wrong effing inward, and he repeated it. He shouldn't have done it. Uh, there's no excuse for even saying that. It doesn't matter what the context is, but there is a big difference. Uh, he did not call someone an inward. So that's Dabo's take on things, okay? Whether you want to believe that or not, I don't know. Clemson is a school in South Carolina. That's the deep south we're talking about. Is it very possible that this coach used that word? Absolutely. Uh, many players did end up coming to his defense. Christian Wilkinson on the Miami Dolphins. Uh, okay, Trevor Lawrence, they came to his defense and they backed their coach and everything. But again, we don't know if that actually happened. He did also address the, the Football Matters t-shirt saying, any insinuation that I was trying to mock the Black Lives Matter movement is just an attack on my character and really sad. I wholeheartedly support Black Lives Matter. Again, um, this is not the greatest apology, if you will. Um, he should have probably just come out and say that it was totally insensitive and I shouldn't have worn that shirt and it was a mistake and just move on from there. Also, um, Clemson has been in the news for the fact that there was a bit of a protest. Trevor Lawrence kind of led this whole thing. There was uh, They wanted the name of one of their honors colleges to be removed. I think it was maybe like a slave owner whose name was on the building. So finally today, the Board of Trustees approved changing the name of the university's honors college to the Clemson University Honors College effective immediately. I forget what it was called uh, prior to that. Um, you had DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun Watson, and others who petitioned the university to remove the name of John C. Calhoun, who was a slave owner from the school. There you have it. Okay. I also saw um, the band Lady Antebellum. I know this is kind of off topic, but Lady Antebellum ended up changing their name because apparently the name Antebellum has to do with deep-rooted South and it has like slave meaning or race racial meaning to it. Um, I had no idea of that and I know that they didn't uh, name their band knowing that as well or, or purposely because of that, but they actually changed their name to Lady A, which personally I think is totally ridiculous. If you were all for this, then the, the name change, that's fine. But they're a country band. I had no clue that this what this word even meant. I mean, so yeah, this is the times we live in. It's crazy. Anything that is the slightest, um, you know, has the slightest racial meaning or can be twisted to mean something or this or that you have to be very careful with in this day and age with what's going on in the world right now so probably for the best that they change a name I'm just a little shocked I don't know that there was a call for them to do this um, but I, I guess there was 
All right, anyway, moving along, let's talk about the NBA, a league that is actually going to restart quite soon. They are headed to Walt Disney World at the end of July with 22 teams in the mix. However, some of these teams could be a few players short. 40 to 50 NBA players voiced their concerns on entering the Orlando bubble. Along with COVID, the restrictive and isolated nature of the plan seems to be an issue. Excuse me. What I mean by that is that families can join players, but only after the first round of the postseason, which is almost two months into their stay at Disney. Players who stay back and decide not to go and play will not be punished by the team or the league. However, they also won't be paid for missed games. Uh, More details are coming out about the NBA's plan to restart. So 14 of the 22 teams in Orlando will be eliminated in the first 53 days of arriving, and then only four teams will remain after 67 days, making it seem a bit more manageable than first thought. One player that is a little hesitant was Carmelo Anthony. He said that without all the details, it is a little bit difficult to commit to going and playing uh, 100%. Um, which I, I don't fault him for that. He, if he doesn't have all the details, you know, I, I'd be a little bit hesitant too. But really, what more do you need to know? If you don't go, you don't get paid. So there is that as well. And the NBA, for whatever reason, they moved up the return date uh, just one day from July 31st to July 30th. Here's Brian Windhorst with more. Because, you know, when I first started studying the concept of the bubble back in April, I was like, wow, there's no way this can happen. And, and I mean, the more people I talked to, even at this company who was going to produce this thing, uh, were like, wow, I don't think this is going to happen. And then the more time that passed, the more time I got to understand it and learn about it and learn more about what could be done for the virus, I came around to understand that this was possible. And I think ultimately the players will too, but I can't say for sure that that will happen for everybody. Okay, so we will see if there are players, and I expect there to be players that decide not to show up. Now, how that's going to turn out in the locker room for a team that is on the bubble, like a Portland Trailblazers, a team like that who could potentially still make the playoffs. If you have a player like Damian Lillard who decides not to show up, you might have teammates that feel he's giving up on the team. So, you know, it is it is an interesting um, perspective and something that we'll have to keep a close eye on in the coming weeks as we get closer to the season. All right, moving right along, let's talk about the MLS real quick. Their season is getting ready to resume with all 26 teams on July 8th. That will also be taking place at Disney. They'll hold a World Cup-style tournament. When I read that they're going to be doing it this way, my eyes lit up because I don't watch MLS and not many people in this country do. Most people are watching, you know, Italian soccer like the Coppa Italia, which gets back, you know, uh, underway today with Ronaldo and and those guys or, or Bundesliga, which has been going on. Not too many people are watching American soccer or the MLS, but a World Cup style tournament, I am all for that. And I think I might actually watch that. That intrigues me a lot. Okay, so how that's going to break down, the format is going to go, you know, World Cup style, so it will be group stage to start with. Each team will play three matches, um, which would count towards the regular season. You will follow that by a knockout stage, eventually whittling down and crowning a champion. I think it's, uh, this is a point in time where MLS has a huge chance to capitalize uh, on, on what's going on in the world. It's less about the tournament to me, and it's more about the statement Major League Soccer said today that, guess what, those three games count towards the regular season because 
we are planning and very confident that we're going to play 12 to 18 games in our respective home markets. And even Don Garber today on the media call said there's a possibility that fans will be involved. That's the biggest talking point for me. Yeah, if they can involve fans, that definitely adds a great element. I know in some of the other leagues, Bundesliga, it might have been, they were using crowd noise um, from previous games to mix that in. So if you could have actual fans in attendance, this is great. I think this gives huge publicity to the MLS, and this is a really good opportunity for them to to win over some fans here uh, um, You know, with, with what's going on in the world. Okay, let's talk lastly about the PGA Tour. The Charles Schwab Challenge started on uh, yesterday, and it was, well, very different without fans. Justin Rose described it, saying it almost felt like a competitive practice round. As the first group walked off the first tee, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan stepped in as he observed a moment of silence to honor George Floyd. Uh, back to the golf, it was Justin Rose and Harold Varner III who shot a 63 each and are tied atop the leaderboard at 7 under. Okay, Justin Thomas is one back. Okay, and then let's get to uh, our last segment on this date in sports, which I always end the show with. On this date in 19, there's actually a lot I could have went with. Um, a lot of NBA Finals took place in uh, on this date, but in 1991, the Bulls defeat the Lakers to win their first NBA title, rebounding from a devastating 1990 Eastern Conference loss to the rival Pistons. We saw a lot of that on the last dance. Okay, I want to... Um, just take a moment to let you guys know what's going on. The, uh, like I said, the Copa Italia resumed play today. All right. You've got um, NASCAR resuming on Sunday. Not too much else going on there. Okay. We're still a few weeks away from really revamping and getting these sports underway. Some of the major sports going on. Okay. There's been boxing going on a little bit here and there. And then um, also uh, this Sunday, we've got another Big time 30 for 30, which I am totally excited for, okay? It is going to be the um, last days of summer, I think it's called. It is uh, going to cover the 1998 home run chase between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, which, of course, we later found out had to do with steroids and all, but I think that actually saved Major League Baseball. I'll leave it with that, guys. Have a nice weekend. Uh, stay safe out there as things start to reopen. I know we saw a spike in, in coronavirus cases. That's naturally going to happen. But here, as you, uh, as I end the show, here is a clip from Sunday's 30 for 30. Have a good weekend, everybody. Stay safe. I'll see you guys next week. McGuire waits, swings, and hits it to deep center. Looks like it's going to leave the park. Adios. Wow. Sosa set to drive. Deep toward right. Oh, baby, long gone. Have we ever seen anything like this? We couldn't stop talking about Mark McGuire around here today. You just don't know when you're going to hit a home run. Obviously, it takes a pitcher, it takes a pitch, it takes a good swing. I'm ready. Ready for the fight. <laughs> Watching those two guys, it was poetry. It ain't coming back. We got Mark, they got Sammy. Didn't know anything about Sammy Sosa until he had 20 home runs in June. 
the Maris record was hallowed ground. If it was easy to do, it would have been broken a long time ago. People were desperate for a feel-good story. In retrospect, there was a price to pay for it. I was hungry to be somebody. I was born here, man. We shocked the world.